there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John. And welcome to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right. And to avoid any lazy negativity, we're making this into a drinking game. Drinking uh, game. Any... Any negative criticism about a film is absolutely allowed, but you will have to drink for it every time. So pour yourself a glass because you're not really going anywhere at the moment <laughs> and give it up for some films we love and perhaps the films that need some love. Jeff, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about our current situation, what we're going to be doing with the podcast. So there's something going around called uh, coronavirus. What? What what? I don't know if you heard it. Yeah, it's, it's uh, also called COVID-19. Mm. Um, so we are doing this remote. Um, in the past, we've all been in the same room, and it's been really fun. We've had a good time making the podcast. But we are separated. So I'm actually in Massachusetts. You two are spread out in New York City. Um, but we're making it happen because the people need their content. Everybody wants to see movies, and we have to make it happen. Yeah, so just fair warning, my upstairs neighbor dropped a bowling ball about five minutes ago, I'm pretty sure. Or it might have been a body. I'm not, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to go and with the body. Be some strange things. We're in a New York apartment. <laughs> Hard to know, sure. And also up front, um, to all of our um, our small film fans, that's right, to all the little ones, um, there will be cursing in this podcast. So maybe maybe seek out some parental guidance before listening to this podcast. Yeah, so if you're Jeff's parents, we're going to include a link for some bunny videos you can watch. My, They are going to hate a bit. Like, I can't tell if they love or hate the shout out. I, I, I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. They, they they must think that all we do is talk about them when we're not talking we about them. We do the podcast, the podcast for them, right? Even if they do, who cares? It's bunnies. <laughs> you know what? I know that no matter what happens on this podcast, they're going to listen to the whole thing. We'll give them some <laughs> something fluffy to look at. That'll be fine. John, how about you talk about... So, hold on, we, we, about we'll have a couple... John, talk about our sponsor. A couple more announcements to get back to about what we're going to be doing with the podcast. But very quickly, as usual, want to give a shout out to our beer sponsor for this drinking game we play. Again, we are all doing our part. We're trying to be responsible. So, unfortunately, we are not drinking Carlos Barroso's beer this week. I wanted to go pick them up. I was too nervous. I didn't, didn't want to risk anything going out last week. So, Carlos Barroso is still our beer sponsor. We are still drinking his beer in spirit. Give him a follow at C Barozo Bar 2019. That's C-B-A-R-R-O-Z-O-B-A-R 2019. Delicious brews. We are going to get them back in our hands as soon as we can to make sure we are drinking those because we miss those beers. Also want to give a quick shout out. The music you hear on this podcast every single week, the beginning, the end, all the transitions is by the artist, Dasein. That's D-A-S-E-I-N. Go over to SoundCloud right now if you want to check him out. SoundCloud.com backslash Dasein dash artist. Lots of tracks there for you Perfect to check stuff out. to sit in your apartment chilling out to. Absolutely. Definitely recommend it. Some good groovy chill music. Anyway, we are back. Jeff's going to tell you a little bit about what we have decided to do with the podcast because... Like I said, we're trying to be responsible. We want to change things up. We know everybody is stuck at home right now. And we had a conversation yesterday. We are really excited to transition away from doing movies that are in the theaters. And we're going to be starting to do, Jeff? Because there aren't any. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we wanted to do bingeable movies, right? So there's a lot of lists going around, which is like movies you can finally get into now. Or the movies you've always wanted to see, but you never um, had the time. Or maybe you were thinking you wanted some new films that were culturally relevant. But now you can get into watching, I don't know, a trilogy. So um, we did open it up a little bit. So it's not just trilogies, but it's going to be trilogies and franchise films. And we decided to do a little bit of a power ranking. So we are coming up with the best of the trilogies 
according to us and nobody else. So it's not very democratic. But what we decided to do is we came up with our 16 favorite or favorite-ish um, trilogy sequence, trilogy series, wow, or franchise film series. Um, and we are we, we gave them a ranking. So for instance, up next next week is going to be our number one choice versus our number 16 choice. And you will hear which two films, which series, oh my God, Jesus Christ, the beer! Which two <laughs> trilogies or film franchises those will be. You'll hear about that at the end of the podcast where we will tease our next episode. But yes, this, this is the thing be... we can only do with all three of us in separate rooms. That's right. <laughs> and just so much time to watch movies and cry by ourselves for sure. So anyway, we're really excited about that. We're going to start doing that next week. We're going to change the format up a little bit, but it's going to be really fun, I promise. These are going to be movies you love, maybe movies you've already seen or movies you've been wanting to see. And what a good time. What a good excuse to sit down and watch hours and hours of rewatchable movies. We've got you covered. Don't worry. Tune in next week. Hopefully at the beginning of this week, we'll have that posted for you, actually. We're going to try to record Sunday. So keep, a, keep an ear out for Monday. We'll be coming at you. Anyway, on this week's episode, we did go to the theaters safely. A couple over the last very couple of weeks, empty very theaters. empty movie theaters here in New York City. We are in New York City and um, we did check out. So we we're going to stick to our typical structure for this week. We saw two movies that we we're going to be uh, comparing some older films to. Going to kick it off first with The Invisible Man, starring Elizabeth Moss, directed by Lee Wanell. And uh, later in the episode, we will be talking about The, the Way Back, directed by Gavin O'Connor, starring Ben Affleck. And then at the very end, we, of course, will have our redemption of the week, our bad movie of the week, which we will reveal when we get there. You got to earn it. You got to come on the ride. So first up, we are going to be talking about Lee Wanell's The Invisible Man. Jeff, tell us a little bit about yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. Sure. First things first, did you guys go to the movies with the Lysol? I, I, I like wiped the seat more than I've ever, like like bed bugs, lice. I, was I like, actually, no, I shaved this. off I all my body I hair and I covered myself I in Purell. I stuff in my theater. I trusted them. They're doing a one, they did a wonderful oh. job up until everyone was closed. Right. They definitely seemed like they knew their job was about to go on hold for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, The Invisible Man. Um, so, The Invisible Man is about a woman played by Elizabeth Moss named Cecilia, whose, um, ex, whose ex was abusive. So, she uh, leaves the relationship, which causes him to take his own life. And he is a tech genius in experimental software, to say the least, who um, left his entire fortune to her under the one caveat that she has to stay sane. She can't be deemed mentally unfit to handle the fortune, and she can't commit any crimes. But this guy, I don't know, maybe he's still alive, and he just went invisible. Um, and so the movie becomes let's just let's just call it what it is the movie is believe women because she is she believes she is being followed and haunted by her um ex who is now invisible and nobody will believe her because nobody has ever seen or heard of an invisible person and so you follow the story about basically this invisible person driving her insane and people having trouble believing her um why don't we get into our thoughts let's start with uh dave I love this. I had a lot of fun watching this. I like the first, I don't know whether you guys felt it, but the first five minutes is incredibly tense. This is kind of not for someone who suffers from anxiety. Um, just the, the very opening where she's escaping from the house. You're like, yeah, and the guy's not even invisible yet. Like they built tension so well in this movie. Um, I love the way it was shot. Uh, we'll, we'll actually briefly talk later about some of the technical stuff behind it, um, which was amazing. Uh, especially on a budget of $7 million. 
Um, all in all, I don't think I can fault it. I think it's it builds tension very, very well. And when it hits the payoff, it's a bit of a roller coaster. Yeah. Um, also, also, also I, I did yeah, I point out it drops on digital today. Ooh. At the yeah. time of this recording, it's out on demand. Yeah, this is Friday, March 20th, and it is on on demand. So you can rent it at home and watch this movie, and it's a good rent. Also, the producer behind this film is Jason Blum of Blumhouse Productions, who you probably know from the Purge series. Um, he did Get Out. He did um, The Boy Next Door with Jennifer Lopez. All the great, all the great low-budget <laughs> horror films. my favorite things. Yeah, the classics. Yeah, yeah. but he, he does low-budget horror films, and this is certainly one. It, there's a lot of tension, a lot of... Um, a lot of thriller he, elements to this. Didn't he also? Didn't he also rescue M Night Shyamalan from? <laughs> didn't he? <laughs> he rescued. Yeah, that was him. He did. did um, would he rescue M Night Shyamalan? Well, yeah, yeah, the yeah, fuck yeah, out, Dave. John, John, what do you think of the film? You thought it was perfect. Right? Oh, I think every film is perfect, especially this one. This one was uh, was absolutely perfect, except for a few things towards the end, which which took a little bit away. But overall, I enjoyed this film quite a bit. We've yeah. already sort of yeah. talked about it. Uh, I I respect Elizabeth Moss quite a bit. She is a really good actor. And this is one of those movies. This is one of those performances. If you don't buy every single moment of her, because she's on pretty much in every, every shot. So if you are not on board with what is happening to her, if she is not believable, if she can't carry the tension alone, the filmmaking is not going to mean shit. So she right. does her job. She, she did her job all the way from beginning to the end. So first of all, props to her. Generally speaking, the performances were actually really strong. Um, give a shick, uh, quick shout out to the other actor who I thought was really great. Aldous Hodge did a really wonderful job. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, was it guy. Benedict Hardy or Oliver Jackson Cohen? I guess he was the uh, Benedict Hardy, I believe, is the brother. He was fantastic. No, Michael Dorman. Michael, Michael Dorman, Dorman played yeah, Tom Griffin. Okay. The Thank you. Michael Dorman. Yeah, that's the guy you hate. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, you just said you just said the most likable person in the entire movie was hateable. Dave, yeah, way sorry. to go. People are going to come after you after they He's see the this. He's a brother, movie. right? I didn't yeah, yeah, stay yeah. for the credits. I was scared. Yeah. He was, he was great. Dave said the guy who took her into his home and protected her from mm-hmm. harm. He's like, yeah, you fucking hate uh-huh, that guy. Uh-huh. That's yeah. the worst. I mean, he didn't <laughs> listen to her. Um, um, yeah, so, so, so get out of here. Okay, so, so the, yeah, this movie was definitely a thriller, and it definitely had some thriller-esque elements to it. Did, John, you said there were a couple things that maybe you probably could have improved on yourself, like, personally, they didn't work mm-hmm. for you. But ultimately, were you thrilled? Did you have jumps? Yeah, there, there's a couple, there's a couple good jumps. And this is not a jump scare movie. This is a slow burn with a couple jump scares. This is this is yeah, the anxiety. Yeah. This is the tension. The best moments of the movie are without a doubt when it's the quiet moments. When you are feeling yeah. her loneliness, her isolation, her when she has nobody else in the real world to hold her her belief that there's this man out there accountable and it's just her and you can feel her losing her mind. Those are the best parts. Um, the only thing about movies like this, they uh, they can fall flat if they create if they create or dictate a physics of the world. So obviously some spoiler alerts here. I'm not going to try to give away anything too detailed, but she believes that there is a real live person who has figured out how to be invisible. That is actually coming around. You start watching the movie and it starts to be slowly proved to you that she's not crazy, that there's the physics of the world are being tampered with by this invisible person. So you get on board there's a couple really excellent fight scenes where they really carry it off and the physics are still believable. And then 
like so many of the horror movies, especially that lower level stuff, the lower budgets, they they have choices to make as the very end if they're going to let some holes stand. And this one, unfortunately, there were two holes. There was a fight toward the end where they broke the rules of their physics and something unbelievable happened. And there was a moment at the very end. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> There's a moment at the very end where they really break the physics and it's it's the twist. It's the major thing at the end. And everything about it is great except for the physics. So there were there were two or three problems that they could have had a foolproof thing. I'll drink. I'll go ahead and drink. Yeah, go ahead. The only reason yeah. this frustrated me is because unlike a lot of B horror movies, this is not a slasher movie. This is not a just a jump scare movie. This is not super low campy budget where you can rely on holes to be a part of the entertainment. I just said that sentence. <laughs> I just said that sentence. <laughs> you can't rely on that with a movie that takes itself this seriously. And I mean that as a positive thing. Everyone in the movie took themselves seriously. The acting was elevated to a serious, sincere performance. You knew you were watching a horror movie, but it felt more like an anxiety thriller, like a psychological thriller because they weren't relying on the camp. So... It just frustrated me a little bit towards the very end. There were three or two or three simple mistakes they made. And I know they were choices because they were technical choices. They chose <laughs> They chose to ignore them. I know they did because there's, there's, it's not a happenstance thing. They decided on those and the way they designed the production for those three choices. They said, fuck it, let it fly. And it unraveled just a little bit for, the, for me a little bit. I felt everything up until that moment. And I kind of just had to... Do that thing that I get frustrated doing when I'm taking a movie seriously where I have to just say, I guess they had to do that to get to the end of the movie, which was a real shame because I was on board up until that point. However, I liked it. Everyone should see it. It was really fun. Wait till the lights are off. Watch it alone if you can. Go a little yeah, crazy. It's definitely, a, it's definitely a fun but tense watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just say I, there's only one pet peeve I have and sometimes it happens in these movies, sometimes, not always, but sometimes you need to get to a result and you excuse little things like she walked through his lab to get out of the house yeah. and then went, gee, I wonder if he's invisible. And I was like, you just walked by the invisibility so we all saw it and you have access to closer. Mm-hmm. Hey, closer. hey, okay, maybe it's no, a little bit of a spoiler, no, but here's no, the thing. No, I'm going to keep this Okay, I'm drinking. Okay, I'm drinking. I'm drinking. My only pet peeve. Drink, bitch. <laughs> with these kinds of movies, it's built in that you at home are going to be there. Like, wait, didn't you see the suit? Wait, you have to go back to the house. Wait, come on, you have to do this, and and you become like a character wait, in the movie. Did, in didn't movie you like see this. the invisible suit? Yeah, exa- yeah, well, yeah. Anyway, yeah, exactly. But Spoiler. so you at home are kind of going to be like, alert. turn around. Oh my god, there's an empty house, but the door is open. Clearly, there's some invisible person in the house. My only pet peeve is you can't guess a fucking password. Don't do it, filmmakers, writers. Stop fucking doing it. Nobody can guess my password. You know, my password makes no sense because I want nobody to be able to guess it. How did she guess this password? Get the fuck out of here with that. Apparently they guess passwords. Otherwise, in honestly, I love the movie. Fifteen times. I know. I you know. will never get somebody try to guess my password. You will never. That's what I'm talking about. It. That's what I'm talking about. It's one of the traps of horror movies in general. And again, if it were, nobody cares about anything like that, if the movie isn't taking itself seriously, if it's a camp, then we're like, fuck it, this is great. That's that's how movies cheat all the time. But if you take yourself seriously and then you do things like that, it is it is a flaw. It it didn't. Let's at least say that. I will drink. We will all at least agree that mistakes like that don't make the movie better. That's not a mistake. They did it on purpose. They wrote that yeah, into the script. Well, I mean, that's, come on. That's cheap The password scene sucked. <laughs> password scene sucked. You're right. It, otherwise, honestly, the movie was very thrilling. I'm very glad I watched it. I had a good time. I recommend it to everybody. <laughs> this beer is invisible. <laughs> what are we... 
<laughs> what are we comparing? <laughs> okay, are you ready to move on to our comparison film? Actually, no, just quickly, I would like to note that the oh, other sorry, star Dave. besides yep. Elizabeth Moss and was the cinematography. Cinematography, dude, yeah. Yes! Oh, fuck yeah, 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 sorry. Yeah, it was like... It was such a good use of like negative space mm-hmm. and the fact that they would literally pan the camera to an empty location and you're like, is he there or isn't he? Um, yeah. And it was like a masterclass in how to direct a viewer, uh, for instance, with the um, the living room scene where they're having a warm moment and then suddenly for no explained reason, the camera cuts to you peeking around yeah. Yeah. like a doorway halfway down the hall and yeah. it's like, and then it cuts back and you're like, what the fuck was that? Mm-hmm. Like, is there yeah. someone there? And it puts you on edge. And they, they use the cinematography to work you up into the frenzy that eventually leads to the payoff where it all comes apart. And and I thought that was so special because um, I love psychological thriller. I mean, you know, you, you can't talk about this genre without talking about Hitchcock and some of the older guys who are just really cuckoo who we'll be talking about a little bit later. Um, it's... We, for the past two episodes now, we have seen at least one film, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire last time, Invisible Man Mm -hmm. this time, who used really traditional, simple, but effective filmmaking techniques. And those were the best part of this film. The first hour of this movie is the slow tension building. You really get inside her head and her point of view, and it starts happening to her. I'm not saying that the Invisible Man doesn't start fucking with her in the first half, but they mostly rely not on the technical special effects achievements of when he starts really getting involved in the physics of the world around her. He starts fighting other people. He fights her. Before it gets to that stuff, it's only the stuff that, that you're talking about, Dave. And it's so effective. It's the beginning. It kind of made me wish as we went on. I don't think they went overboard. I, I don't. I still enjoyed mm. this. But I think no, the strongest parts of this movie were when like, I didn't know. the moment he reveals himself? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean... Um- yeah, it, it, this this movie this movie was really fun. That that is true. It was awesome. There were a couple sequences, especially in the attic when she's crawling around the attic, and there may or may not be an invisible guy in there yeah. with her. It was really, and she's she's awesome. She seems, she is a movie star. She is beautiful, but she just seems like a n- normal person. So it's very relatable. You watch her in a performance, and you sit there and you go, "I relate to this. That could be me. That could be somebody I know." Mm-hmm. Very easily. And, it, and it, yeah, it, I mean, my takeaway from that was like it, it's like the tension of Silence of the Lambs in the basement at the end for about an hour. Yeah. And I think that, and then when they finally release the tension, it's so much that you yeah. just go the rest of the way and you don't notice those holes, and you, it's just the ride. Like if you get fully yeah. invested in that tension, I mean, when it yeah. finally snaps, like the note that I wrote for that, I literally, I didn't even want to mention it, but like I literally wrote, "Well, that fucking escalated." Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, it, it really because it, it just you're sitting there comfortably going along, tense as hell, and then all of a sudden, okay, we've tipped, we've tipped the scale one way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just wish they would have. They put, it was not unlike Silence of the Lambs. Jonathan Demi didn't leave any holes, and so that's a good example of. But <laughs> Jonathan yeah. Demi had no holes. Look, believe women, um, even if they say they're being chased by an invisible man. We're gonna move on now to its comparison. Its comparative film, which actually I think my friend Nate was the one who suggested this, but uh, we decided. I was totally on board for this. To go with Gaslight, 1944, not to be confused with the 1940 Uh, British version. This was back in the age when Hollywood said, oh, people in America, ignore the Brits. They go fuck themselves. I know World War II is happening. This sucks, but we're going to remake their movie. MGM tried to have all copies of the 1941 destroyed. 
Wow. And the only the, reason I mean, the only reason they didn't have it destroyed is because some of the reels were mislabeled with the title of the stage play it was based on. That's right. Mislabel your reels. The only reason that 1941 still exists. Yeah. So Gaslight to to let everybody so just to tune everybody into what we're talking about is um is uh, a new song by the Dixie Chicks that came out right before coronavirus. Oh, dude, um, don't, about, do, not, do not mess with the Dixie Chicks. What? Gaslighter! <laughs> ah! What a good time for us to see this movie. It's called Gaslight. She's talking about Gaslighter. The phrase Gaslighter comes from this script. This it does. Really, the this, play. This did coin the phrase, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So here's what it's about. Um, I'll just read it actually. So years after her aunt was murdered in her home, a young, come on, man, in the middle of the synopsis, years after her aunt was murdered in her home, a young woman moves back into the house with her new husband. However, he has a secret that he will do anything to protect, even if it means driving his wife insane. So the one, so the reason it's called Gaslight is because the movie. They gave away two thirds of the movie, and they really, they really held them out to dry. It like, doesn't they hung suffer out to dry for it, though. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so 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 she keeps noticing that the gas, the stove gas, keeps going up and down, and he keeps saying she's going crazy. So what the movie is about is she thinks she's going insane, but really, um, he, the guy, probably or somebody in the house, is driving her insane and making her think she's crazy when really she was right all along. That is where the phrase gas lighter came from, which is why it's our comparison to Invisible Man. Boom. Who wants to start? Anybody? Dave? John? Sure. Um, sure. This was uh, Angela Lansbury's first film. Mm-hmm. Yes. She, not first a big role. role. She's a supporting not, role. No, but she's yes, a supporting sure. actress. First film and first Oscar nomination as well. Yeah, she was um, 17 when she booked it. Yeah, she was really annoying. <laughs> in, in a way that she's meant to be. Um, she has it, never looked seventeen. Really, yeah, it was. It was fun That's to. Right. It was kind of fun to watch this movie in, um, like, knowing that, like, everybody got nominated for an Oscar for this movie this year, or uh, the, the year it was released. Um, there were some exceptional performances for the time. Um, I don't think that acting style carries through to modern day. So it is like you really have to cast your mind back. If you're going to watch this, uh, but there were some great moments. There's like a great drinking game to play during this film is to count the amount of times a gaslight turns up on screen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, you'll be drunk in the first twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it was um, so actually a really solid story. I wasn't expecting to enjoy this as much as I did. Like I kind of went in like as I'm not. You know, I have a something with old films. I it's just like they don't they don't make them like they used to. No, they they don't for a reason. Um, drink, <laughs> drink, drink, <laughs> buzz, buzz. All right. buzz. <laughs> but um, I did actually really enjoy this and ended up sitting there glued to the screen to watch. And I think it's actually a really valid film to watch if you want to see how it was done back in the forties. Right, and, and Ingrid Bergman, fact, who was the lead, also, is amazing. Also, yeah, she was amazing. The, also, the fact that like this issue was studied back in the forties is amazing mm-hmm. to me as well. What do you mean it was? It was yeah. it was studied. The fact that like there was art about men gaslighting women, not that it was known as gaslighting at the time. What did they like used to call it? <laughs> deliberately mistreating women. <sighs> terrible like i know at the point yeah, it was, what they called it was being a man yeah at the point it was a plot device but yeah 
Yeah, I mean that classic. I, I just, there's a there's a tactic he uses all the time, which we definitely see in older movies and older books, and you know it is not pointed out obviously in the way it's pointed out in this, where the man keeps insisting that she's not well, that she's sick, and she needs to stay in the yeah. house, and she needs to not be around other people, and she needs to. He's encouraging her to begin doubting decisions she's made, and he hides things from her and tells her that she's losing these things. Um, yeah, I mean, just these terrible tactics to try to control hmm. to control the it's woman. Full-on emotional manipulation. Yeah. Yeah, I will say, uh, I I know what you mean about the presentational style of acting, but you know, every now and then there were stars back then who could cut through the fat, and even if there were parts of the elements of the performance that still had that that heightened kind of performing kind of thing, as opposed to like realistic style acting. Ingrid Bergman is absolutely the great and powerful, yeah. you know, just a force to reckon with. She, it was fun to watch her in her career as she got older and she seamlessly adjusted to the new style of acting. And you can see elements of it in this, her breakdown at the end, when she takes her power back from that guy, that final speech yeah. she gives when she's alone with him and you think that, I don't know if she's going to kill him. I don't know if she's going to break down and cry. If she's going to play this victim that, thing, she fucking took yeah. all of the power back and it was so powerful and it didn't feel like you were watching the heightened performance thing that you were watching her have to do with some of the rest of the film. No, that was the most real part of the film. Yeah. And she just, yeah. yeah. And it just, it's, I, I do also like that. Like she researched that role as well. She like sat with women yeah. who'd had nervous breakdowns and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. one, one in particular and studied them as such to, to develop her performance. So it was realistic. Yeah. I mean, what Jeff, you're about to say something. Yeah, no, I, I have, I have thoughts. Um, yeah, 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 for sure. This is, this is a very golden agey movie, but with a twist, which is cool. So the sets, the costumes are huge. And honestly, a lot of the writing is very, very interesting. I think when she's traveling, so she, she, Ingrid Bergman's character is going back to this house that she hasn't been at since her aunt was killed when she was 14. So now she's, she's supposed to be 18. I mean, she looks 35, but she's supposed to be a young woman. And it's like her time to get married, which means she finds a man and, and they're going to get married within six weeks. Um, what I would say is I actually liked the movie less than I thought I was going to. It sucks. Damn it. Fuck. I had to say it. I didn't mean to. No, no. I don't mean to be so blunt about it. Um, the, the, I'm going to keep buzzing okay, so you that beer up. It's okay. <laughs> Hold on. First things first. I was ready for Angela Lansbury because I knew this was her debut. Also, she like she's never going to be that type. Angela Lansbury's type is never going to be a maid again in the future. So I was like, Angela Lansbury's character. She's too proper. You, you've she seen Beauty well. and the Beast, right? Yeah, but she was an eighty-year-old. That's different. Okay. Anyway, um, same character. It's just in- she hasn't <laughs> she hasn't aged since then. By the way, she hasn't aged since nineteen ninety-one or two. Uh. Okay, wait, hold on. So she's on the train, and I love the scene with the 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 lady. She's just this random lady. Just goes, oh, yeah. and she's reading a book, and she's reacting out loud to reading a book. Yeah. And um, I know what and you're Ingrid about to Bergman say. Goes, I know what you're about to say. Ingrid Bergman goes, what what what's going on? And she's like, oh, I love a good death. I love a good murder. And she's like talking about this like murder mystery she's writing. And I was like, this is such a cool scene. This is such a cool, good way of, of opening the story. The reason the movie wasn't for me, you know in it, like now that we know what gaslighting is, you know that the guy is going to be suspicious. He lay, They lay it on so thick that it's like almost unbearable to watch. Every single time. I'm sorry. God damn it. Well, 
you watch the movie for her, not for him. But every time she goes, where's my, where, oh, I found a letter. And he goes, what letter? Give me that letter. Give me that letter. What are you talking about? Let me see that letter. And it's like, oh, oh, the letter. Oh, it's nothing. Oh, it's not. And you're just sitting there and you're like, man, we're 20 minutes into this movie and you are laying on your hand way too thick right now. So I know that's not the point of the movie, but I, it's I kind like of that like that reaction was justified. It's but, not. Uh, it's yeah, it's anyway. melodrama, dude. It's not. I mean, there there has it, to be style involved. Also, like just one thing. Would you like the one big plot hole I found in this movie? It was like I would not take a biscuit from Bloodthirsty Betty. That's right, <laughs> Bloodthirsty Betty. <laughs> God damn it. Um, no, that's good. But but hold on. The big thing is is Ingrid Bergman though, because watching her slowly go insane and then her redemption scene at the end, which Invisible Invisible Man, we we didn't really talk too much about it, but it doesn't have the payoff that this has. This is yeah. like the payoff in this. She the, the line from this movie, the famous lines. I'm not going to spoil much, but the famous line in this movie is basically she knows she's gone mad at this point and she knows that it was his fault. She that's a spoiler. Oops. Um, she says, um, if I wasn't mad, I could have helped you. If I wasn't mad, I could have protected you. But because I am mad, I hate you. Because I am mad, I have betrayed you. And because I am mad, I'm rejoicing in my heart without a shred of pity, without a shred of regret, watching you go with glory in my heart. Mm. Like That is such a badass line it for is. somebody to say, especially in 1944. The way Ingrid Bergman says that, it's like... I mean that is a, that is like a, she won an Oscar for this and she probably won because of that this one won scene. It was so, so many great. Oscars like it won an Oscar for set decoration. Yeah. Well, the set um, was awesome. I mean, I mean, they, they also as as she got more manic the way all the way through they clutter up the set more. Yep, right. They I mean, actually just, modified know, the set depending on her emotional state. Anything in that golden age, yeah. you know, they just because they were pumping out like machines. You know, nothing was nothing was independent. All these movies were just airtight. So whether or not you enjoy the like the style or something like that, there there's never uh, there's not enough time for you to get like bored or to realize oh I don't think I like this. You can even say like I'm not digging this, and it's still the story moves so tightly that uh, forward that you can still find something to enjoy about it. She said um, two of my favorite lines again, just proving that Ingrid she she had the goods the whole time, and there were moments where it would sneak in and they were quiet and they were not that performing thing. Uh, one of the first scenes when she's working with uh, a maestro in voice lessons and he's calling her out because he can tell she's distracted and she's not thinking. And he says, he finally asks her, he says, are you in love? And she just so quietly says, yes, yes, it's something that has never happened to me before. And it's just so grounded and so realistic. Yeah. And then yeah, I think my favorite moment in the whole movie is when that scene on the train, when she's meeting the old lady and she's telling her about that murder yeah. mystery she's reading. And the woman's like, Oh, it's about this these people who marry this man and she uh, the woman that marries the man and she finds out, believe it or not, that there are six of his wives are buried in the cellar. And Henry Bourbon just says, That seems a lot. And it's just, oh. just <laughs> there so grounded. It was steaming so piles personal. of foreboding all the way through the beginning of this movie. Yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah. yeah. And yet, it, it, it was. Fun. And yet, what well, I think yeah, I think Ingrid's fun. performance saved it because it it didn't slip into the traps of all that foreboding because she was so right. grounded in her performance. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't her leaning into the melodrama of that. She waited until she had no choice but to join the melodrama. Yeah. Like forty five minutes into it. Yeah. So I liked it. All right. It was cool. I, 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 really it, I mean, if you if you want to, cool. yeah, if you want to, it's worth a rent. If you're I will say, stuck and you want to go back to I will a classic, say this, it's absolutely worth a rent. I will say this very quickly, just to give her some redemption. She had that amazing uh, scene at the end, which definitely brought her back. But the next movie that Ingrid Bergman made was Hitchcock's uh, Spellbound, which is fun because she got to reverse her roles. She played 
a psychiatrist who was helping a man realize he wasn't crazy. So it was it was cool that oh, she cool. in her career that they whoever gave her the opportunity if she chose it her her representation it's cool that she got to go back and forth so she she got her power back at the end of this one and then she got to play the person in control the next time it was great yeah I mean she almost didn't do for, this movie who yeah what I mean and, and I think somebody else passed on it right I don't even think she was no, the first no, no, well I mean yeah there's somebody else passed on it and then they they lent her over um to do the movie oh, she 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 was in MGM. No, she was with another studio at the time. Wow. I think she was 29 oh, when she did this film. Nick Lender over. Well, shout out. So we had Elizabeth Moss as our leading lady in the other film. Um, Ingrid Bergman, um, three Academy Awards for acting. You know who has three Academy Awards for acting? Like five people. Yeah. Jack Nicholson, Daniel Day-Lewis, um, Catherine Hepburn, Walter Brennan. And probably Elizabeth it. Moss this year because it's the only film that's going to be in cinemas by the end. Oh, of the and year. Meryl Streep, Meryl Streep, duh, Meryl Streep just got her third. So it's like that's it. So she she truly is in the pantheon of great of great actresses, and this is one of her career defining performances. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm I'm resettling back. The, and to be fair, the guy, her her husband, is a supporting role, even though yeah. I think he laid on way too thick. And then he's in public being like, I don't know who that person is because he's playing a whatever. Big picture. Anyway, it was big great. picture. Last thought, just to show how far we've come. Um, who has to save have to save Ingrid Bergman? A man. Who saves yeah. Elizabeth Moss? Elizabeth Moss. So I thought that, you know, it's cool that we've, yeah. we've come into this yeah. place. She did not need, uh, you know, another man to, to save her from this and to justify her reality. She fucking took her life into her own hands. So it was cool that they kind of tweaked that a little bit. All right. That's right. a great really good to move on. Yeah. So when we come back, we will yeah. be talking about our next film, Gavin O'Connor's The Way Back. back wow how was your break guys uh, felt really good good yeah Pretty good um, got some more beer I, feeling I, good I outside no i didn't um, let's just, yeah, let's just, i was yeah, looking I was looking at my notes really quickly. I just want to throw this in there. I was trying to get my parents to give us a rating and a review you know we're trying to get this podcast going and my dad gave us a first he made a mistake and gave us a one-star rating Great. And then he gave us a two. Yeah. And then he gave us a three. And he said, fuck this. And he just stopped trying. <laughs> <laughs> we're, hey, hey, we're getting better and better. We're improving over time, right? Yeah, we average out at two. Okay. Yeah, oh thanks, Dad. It's really Great. good. What's it, what's it like drinking by yourself since we're not together doing this? What's it like we're just in a room with headphones on drinking? This is basically it's, what all New Yorkers yeah, are doing right now with or without a podcast. This counts. <laughs> That's right. yeah. this my liquor store had no deals. My liquor store is like, no, we're capitalizing on this. We're making money. Oh, okay. I'm sure they went up. Oh, bless them. <laughs> all right. So, I mean, as we spe- mentioned. Speaking of alcoholism. So, we decided to drink beer while talking about a movie about alcoholism. So, this is The Way Back by um, Gavin O'Connor. Yeah. As Jesus, man. Every time? God damn it. <laughs> So this is a movie by Gavin O'Connor's director. Uh, Brad Inglesby is a writer, and it stars Ben Affleck, who decided to gain weight and a beard for life, and then cast himself in a movie that would be appropriate. Drink, um, <laughs> so drink, you bastard! Mm. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So. All right, all right. So anyway, so the movie—I can see you, Jeff. You haven't picked up the beer. Are we running? Are we running out of titles? I feel like there was a movie called The Way Back. There was. There was one in 2010. So every yeah, 10 there's years, like four there's of them. Like, the way back. All right. Anyway, um, yeah. so here's what it's about. One of them had dogs. So Ben Affleck plays a character with a generic white name because his name is Ben Affleck, and that's who he is. So Jack Cunningham. Could you come up with a more generic name? Sorry. Mm. 
<laughs> oh, okay. We can't even get through the summary. Drink, you bastard. Drink, goddammit, drink. I see you. So he was a high school basketball phenom who decided not to take the full scholarship to Kansas because this movie's unrealistic. That's bullshit. You get a full ride to Kansas, you go. God, okay. I'm sorry. Jeff, he spent a lot of time hurting himself. Did you not watch the movie? This is the <laughs> best intro ever. This movie could not decide if it was a Disney movie or if it was um, if it was The Wrestler um, with... Um, with uh, Mickey Rourke, Mickey, you know, it's like yeah. hard and he, like does drugs and has sex in a bathroom. It's like, it was it Disney or is it that? It couldn't decide. Okay, so he walked away from the game 20 years before the movie takes place, became an alcoholic construction worker, and then reluctantly accepts a job coaching at his alma mater, which is a Catholic school, which doesn't like his cursing and yelling at kids and calling them pussies. What would you guys think of the movie? What did we, let's start with John. Give a, give, give a couple. Of, there, there is an important fact. He... he it is given. It's not. A, it's not a spoiler. You learn it fairly quickly that he is separated from his wife. They are not fully divorced yet. After they lost their child to, I don't know if it was leukemia or some kind of cancer, which is a big part about it. Is that True. he apparently you know had dealt with drugs and stuff before because he had so many issues with his father, which is why he walked away from the game. Then he got no. Excuse me. Uh, walked away from the game after he realized his dad. Only really loved him for that. Then he got involved with drugs. Then apparently he got with his wife and everything was okay. And then we meet him after all that happened. Yeah, sure. Yeah. (laughs) Family comedy. That's what this is. All right. This is one of those movies. You know what they're trying to do from the beginning. They're going to try to make you feel things. This is going to be men get emotional in this movie. You're going to watch men get emotional. This is going to be that kind of thing. It is also a bit of the comeback story with the sports. He does get called back to start coaching a high school team where he used to go, kind of builds his life back around that. Although what I did appreciate about this movie is that it's not, it's not even mostly that. Not only is it not only that, it's not mostly that. This movie stays with the point of view of Ben Affleck's character the whole time. It doesn't go too into depth with the supporting characters of the of the boys on the basketball team. You learn some things about them to give you enough context so that they become human. But I, I will agree with you guys. It sounds like none of us were as... I think we all wanted to like this movie more... Then we ended up liking I, I liked it. it more I than like my Gavin O'Connor's together. movies. Yeah, me too. What, say that again. I, I liked it more than my intro, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I am a Gavin O'Connor also directed um, Warrior, which I love that movie, and it's a very similar kind of thing. It's just dealing with uh, abuse, uh, drug abuse, and past physical and emotional abuse from bad parenting situations. There's a lot of violence in it, but it's about these men trying to become better versions of themselves. So he likes to tell these stories, and he's got a big heart. Clearly, I do appreciate anyone who tries to make emotional movies these days because we're we're just such a jaded society. So I went in really wanting to appreciate this more. There are a lot of montages of Ben getting drunk. Like there's a lot of these things where they kind of really try to hit it over the head and make you realize just how broken this guy is. And I thought that it actually ended up being one of the downfalls. I'll have a drink on that one. Because the best parts of this movie were best parts of this movie were when you saw him struggling with the relationships with other people. It wasn't the montages when he's alone at the end of the night and he's just pounding beer. You, you know, you need one or two of those, I guess, maybe probably just one in a film like this just to really solidify so the audience knows this guy fucking drinks all the time, yeah. especially when he's alone. However, the real struggle and the obstacles and the conflict and everything, the richest part of this stuff was when he was having to face the world because he had 
removed himself from it for so long. I'll also say one positive thing before we start tearing it to pieces. Oh, no. I appreciated, I appreciated the structure. I am a huge proponent. I will always say this. Generally speaking, if a movie has a really good ending, I can forgive a lot of the problems for it. I'm not saying this was the greatest ending in the world. But again, like I was saying, I like that it didn't follow him in a classic structure of this kind of comeback movie with sports and coaching. It didn't follow him back to their final game. And he wasn't on the floor screaming and hooting and hollering as they sealed the, the final shot. This movie's ending, without giving any hardcore details away, it stays, it cuts it in half. It reminded me of some of the Friday Night Lights stuff. It stayed away, Ben stays away from the game. And it actually had a really strong emotional impact on me. You have been waiting the whole time for him to relate to these other people. And it made an interesting turn. He finally realized at the end that he had to make peace with himself. And I know that sounds like such a cliche, but they had gone against that for the whole movie. And it was working in a lot of interesting ways. So at the very end, when it's finally just him alone, back with the basketball in his hand. I don't know. It did. It it redeemed itself a little bit for me. It still was not as enjoyable as I wanted it to be, but I appreciated the fact that they subverted the structure and it actually had a stronger impact than if he would have been at the game cheering on his kids and crying over them winning a, a fucking tournament yeah. or whatever. And there, and there was good stuff in this movie for sure. And that, that was, it was a good ending for sure. Dave, what do you think? Get that buzzer ready, you motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to stop with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fuck you and your fucking buzzer. Dave has no heart. He is made of stone. Go ahead, Dave. Do not watch this film while self-isolating. What? <laughs> Do not watch this film while you're self-isolating. It I, is, I it need is, more like, context. I need more. Is it the drinking? It, is it the... What it is will it? drive you into the Dave ground. went fucking Howard Hughes, watching alone, will, naked with one female. a fucking alcoholic by the end of this movie. Like, I started wishing for basketball. Cheers. 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 Did you drink as many beers as he drank that one night? That remember he like leaves quickly and then I'm, he goes home. I'm, I'm pretty sure he drank thirty beers and a fifth of vodka. I'm going to drink as many fucking beers during well, he talking about on, this as he keeps uh, on hitting it. Yeah, he does the collegiate like, like hit the thing like he's like a bro. <laughs> Every time we got away from the sports, I was like, I'm watching ninety minutes of Ben Affleck scene studies. Your sports were the favorite part of this movie. <laughs> yeah. I started praying I, for the basketball. Honestly, I, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I did. I really didn't dislike the movie that as much as I let on at the beginning. Although, here's what I would say. So I grew up playing sports. We all grew up playing sports. <laughs> if you're a real sports fan and seen all the sports movies, there's there are some things about this that are great, like him getting to know the team, calling plays, coaching on the sidelines, like all that stuff's good. There's things like they they say a line in the movie like, "Oh, we called up two guys from JV." Do you see a single person? For, do you see the JV team? Do you see a, any other? There are 20 people at this game. This school does not have a JV team. You know what I mean? Um, there, there's like a lot of sports elements about this movie that ultimately, it's like Ben knew, Ben knows basketball. Ben, ben could do this now. He could coach a basketball team right now. I believed that. And it just sort of, I couldn't tell if they were making this movie as a nostalgia piece for like the like our dads. Um, or if they wanted it to be a gritty movie for our generation to watch. I don't know what they... I, maybe maybe they didn't care about the demo, obviously, when they make the film. Okay, cool. But um, <laughs> there were a couple times... You knew Ben was trying to be sincere, and I don't think he was laying it on too thick. You knew in the back of his mind he thought maybe he could get an Oscar nom under the right situations. You knew that was in there somewhere. <laughs> and of course, spo- uh, spoiler... Spoiler, he hasn't done something like this in a long time. Spoiler, he, he's not going to. But but it was heartfelt and everything. You could tell sometimes, <laughs> hey, 
You could, I just said it was heartfelt. You could tell. Um, he said he's not going to get an Oscar nomination. That's nasty. <laughs> um, I, I've studied the Oscars for many years, and I will I will gnaw off. Never mind. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He's not going to get one. Um, he. I got you. They, they're they're you know why the academy's gonna hold stuff like this down i'm gonna spoil something because i don't give a fuck um there's some really nice heartfelt things where he has with with the best player on the team who's not becoming the best player on the team because he's holding back he's shy he doesn't want to be a leader and ben basically is trying to force him to be a leader and the kid turns to him and he's like why weren't you a leader and ben goes daddy issues it was my dad's fault i spited my dad and i was like go fuck yourself like come on with that you can't just say i know i know i know you can't just say oh daddy issues and it's like oh that makes sense uh-huh literary check i can pass film school like there are so many things about this movie no, that seem no, like Jeff, just lifting lifting your beer up doesn't count there, there are go. some there are some times where this movie really <laughs> wants to be hoosiers it really really does it's a coach the team's struggling there are a couple good players they're not going to win with talent and, you know, there's some things about it. It's, it's like you you want it to be Hoosiers. I wanted it to be Hoosiers. I wanted it really bad. It was never going to be. And then when he goes back to drinking and you see him by himself drinking, it's like, we get it. We get it. We get it. We get it. So for me, it wasn't that bad. It, really it was did probably like a home. seven or an eight. It's just not a great sports movie. It's not a great alcohol movie. It's not a great single person character study movie. It's just like a B plus at all of those. I, I mean, I, I loved when he was on the court because essentially I feel like he played two different characters. One of them yeah. was like a man he, who's lost in alcoholism and the other one was a man who's found his passion again. Yeah, and, and I believe that he could do that right again. now. I believed it. Yeah, yeah. It was a, was a was a charm to watch. It was amazing to watch. There was a little bit of, you know, levity in there and that sort of thing. But when they went into the alcoholism, they just lost me. It was just so repetitive and boring. <laughs> oh, God. It's, it, this movie's not a bad movie. Watch it with your dad. Hold on, wait a second. Why did you hate the... Give me more specifics. The Well, I don't know. It wasn't necessarily the alcoholism. It was the um, like the dialogue in the first, I want to say, 30 minutes of the film when he's just interacting with people was so clunky. It felt like everyone was improvising, but they hadn't really talked it through. One thing, yeah, one, one relationship that bothered me, especially with that, because I agree with you, there's, it was a lot of basic things that were only decent that if they were better, they would have made it better, which I know, I know, that's fucking obvious, but the dialogue was was not good some places. It could have been better, and it would have made all these little things better. There were some editing stuff that just, they were, again, I was trying to praise it for the way they subverted mm-hmm. the typical structure of these movies, but it affected the pace negatively in the middle part of the movie a lot. And um, one relationship that was should have been the biggest part of the foundation was him and his his wife, who he's separated from, they only have a few scenes together, but they're super important. If we are not on board with how, with their chemistry and their relationship, it's not gonna, it's not gonna fucking matter at all. We're just gonna watch this guy hurting himself, which is not interesting. And I didn't I mean, feel this, like yeah, they had the scenes that, oh, with the wife were amazing. The scenes with the rest of the family, not no, no, no. So see, much. I it see, I disagree. Like, I felt like see, I disagree. No, I, I felt like the the wife that first scene with the wife when he was waiting for outside of that picnic table at that restaurant. I felt like that was a really clunky scene, and I just didn't buy I didn't mind the it. pain that they were both in. I didn't. Mind it, didn't it. it was awkward. I, they they played the more like oh let's try to be let's. I didn't mind the awkwardness of it. In real life, it would probably be clunky, and also in real life, she, she would probably. 
nobody ever orders food. <laughs> How many times do people meet up in movies and then they leave before like the waiter even gets to the table? Um, I, I didn't, I didn't mind it so much. I think throughout the whole film and looking back retrospect, maybe like, cause they had maybe four scenes together. Maybe there, there was more to be done there, but, but ultimately I didn't mind the first meeting being awkward personally. I mean, sometimes you sit down to dinner and fuck Cuomo quarantines everyone. And yeah, and then you leave, leave. So immediately. Just, you put happens. the bill, yeah. you say, thanks for yeah. the water. <laughs> Out, not leaving you a tip. Sorry. Well, okay. Wait, I have a question for you guys. So here's the thing, though, because people are going to watch this movie for Ben, right? Ben's the star. He's a huge star. If if he yep. wasn't in this movie, if it was um, Nick Kroll or somebody who wanted to do a serious movie, this would be a Sundance movie. But because it's Ben Affleck, now it's like a Hollywood movie. You have Ben Affleck. You have Gavin O'Connor, the director of Warrior, and this, and you have Brad Inglesby. Ben probably did the best job for his job out of the three of them, right? Like Ben, Ben. With, with different guidance, with a slightly different script that didn't have, oh, it's daddy-ish, didn't have stuff like that that are just like Trap City, past film school, if you put this stuff in your script stuff. And the director, who was I mean, good, but he didn't know his tone. He didn't know what he wanted. How many times did he have to prove to us how broken Ben was? So ultimately, no, I know, I know okay, fine. But because this is going to be, yeah. because we're going to be watching this movie for Ben, I think people might actually take to it better than maybe we have because he's doing everything right. And ultimately, the most important thing is it's believable that he walks in there and is their basketball coach. Like that element of it, I can kind of buy a little bit. I can see him coaching a basketball team right now, just being thrown into this yeah, situation I and mean, doing it. I think he did a pretty good job with that. I don't think the problem with this movie was Ben Affleck's performance. Right, yeah, I think he did a fine and job. I know that's, yeah. I know that's, I know that's an unpopular yeah, thing I, to I say. I can't put my finger on what it was, but it was like anything outside, like there was some gold moments for me, like the whole get tough speech. And the resulting discussion on the bus afterwards, where he, he loses his mind, he's dropping f bombs, and like one of the members of the school, like the the priest from the school, comes up and says, "You know, you really gotta curb that." That that whole scene for me like redeemed half the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, he's yeah, a great scene. He's um, one of those. You know, that, it's not uh, the guy. Mm-hmm. Who was the guy who played that character? Do we have that? The priest. Yeah, the one who keeps oh, telling us not cursing. He was, yeah, he was the perfect straight man to Ben Affleck. No, you're talking about Al Mad- Madrigal. You're talking about Al Madrigal, yeah. who's the assistant coach. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He's. I liked he, when he said, uh, the, I liked when he said. Guy, was are no you talking about Jeremy Raiden played Father Mark Whelan, who was the one who kept telling him, you know, we have a, we have a code of conduct. You can't curse. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, he okay. was, he was the perfect straight man to like when, whenever Ben Affleck lost it. And that really worked for me. That worked. I like the assistant coach. Though. I thought that guy did really well. I loved it at the end when he, he was like, he also did really well. When he yeah. was like, I know this is bad, but I really want I to fucking beat those this, guys. There were a lot of good performances in it. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 I, I know agree. it's not, I know it's not popular. I'm still to... just pissed at Ben Affleck <clears throat> for Daredevil. So I know it's not popular. <laughs> I know it's not a popular thing to say to, to praise Ben Affleck. I feel like he, I feel like he's gotten some flack for, for, you know, he's, he's not a super likable type. Like, right, that's, that's if we if we were just if we're not going to get involved with any of the personal stuff anything with anything with him or Matt or Casey or anything in their private life, just based on the acting and the type and stuff, he isn't super likable. So I do have respect for him. I have enjoyed <laughs> joke you made at the beginning. I have enjoyed the twenty pounds extra weight, usually with a beard, usually playing the burly. He's mm-hmm. been leaning into the fact that right. he's an he has an asshole type, and I think since Gone Girl. And his films, even uh, the town and stuff, I feel like he's been leaning into it in this latter stage of his career, and yeah. it's working for me. So I think I, it. I'm one of I the think few it's enjoyable. Who really thought he was a great Batman. 
Yeah. He, he just exudes Hollywood leading man, but at the same time, relatable neighborhood. Like you almost can see how he was raised. Right. Even though we know because of um, Good Will Hunting and stuff, but he, he seems relatable, even though like with Gone Girl, a lot of people gave him crap for Gone Girl. How many people really could have pulled off Gone Girl like that? You know what I mean? Like that Gone presence that you good. have to have. Yeah. Anyway, we don't need to keep talking about Gone Girl, but for this movie to play yeah. a, a former like should have been pro basketball, whatever, even though I think that was a little clunky. He turned down a scholarship to Kansas. Like, that's like kind of weird, right? That's just like people who are sports fans and follow sports. It just doesn't happen. It's weird. But he, I believe him because he's the guy. I believe he's that guy. So overall, the movie was pretty good. Ben it Affleck was, was good. Yeah, give it a shot if you want to. It's definitely a feel good movie. You will feel, you will have some I mean, all, some that, emotional that catharsis. Also, uh, announced is uh, dropping next week on video on demand, so you can yeah, pick you'll it get up. that soon. Yeah, because this is also because just they to were point this to out. Make some money. God, it's so annoying for them. Just to point this know, out, right? this it's, is this is one of those movies that had a uh, it had a great trailer. Yeah, this yeah, movie yeah. had a, a very emotional trailer. Uh, Bonavere's heavenly father song is playing in the background it was well cut i felt like it was it was it was honestly a part of it was kind of a a little bit of a letdown i know we're in the first quarter still of the year so they tend to release like not their best everything you know their ace in the hole or whatever but i was my hopes were a little bit higher because i was so impressed with the trailer so once again that happens every now and then with big hollywood movies where they present something in a trailer that's not quite what you're gonna get and i don't think this was exactly what they were trying to make it seem this was not the mighty ducks for adults it's yeah it's almost like they wanted it to be the wrestler with mickey rourke back mm. to what i was saying before and then they were like that's too hard that's too hard we need to be a little bit more family friendly and i wish they would have gone the the wrestler if you want people to kill themselves yeah yeah, it was a, it was a rated R. Right, the way back, Dave hated this fucking movie. All right, we're gonna move on. The next movie we're gonna be talking is. about is a wild card. We, of course, we always compare things and say, "What do you guys want to work on?" And I threw out a few ideas. We tossed around a few silly ones. We decided to go for a little bit of a wild card with this one. We were doing Tony Scott's Man on Fire, starring Denzel Washington. Take right. your Dramamine before you watch this oh film. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this movie I think this was... is about what would it take for a guy to put a bomb in another guy's asshole? That's what this movie really is in a nutshell. I mean, there's some... That, is, that scene is probably well, the best scene of the movie. That's a question Hollywood's needed answered right. for a long time. <laughs> so that first scene first, is the shit, dude. Tony Scott... Who directed Top Gun and Enemy of the State and a million other films you've seen. Oh, I forgot he directed Top Gun. Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide, yeah. So, I mean, he's worked with everybody everybody and their mother. Ridiculous. Anyway, so this is Denzel Washington with shout-outs to Christopher Walken. Um, I already have my first question in mind for you guys. But anyway, so what this is really about is this takes place in Mexico City. And what it's about is... um, So Denzel is a former CIA operative who um, doesn't work in government anymore. So he's working as a very expensive bodyguard because very wealthy people all over the world, but especially in Mexico and in Latin America, they hire very expensive bodyguards because people will kidnap kids for ransom money. Not because they want to do anything to the kids. They just want ransom money. It's usually around $10 million, which is what it is in this film. And actually big like CEOs and big, you know, hedge fund investors, they have insurance. So in a way, the person who's doing the kidnapping is like, look, your insurance is going to pay for this anyway. I'm going to kidnap your child, take the insurance as ransom money. But Denzel is the bodyguard protecting this. And the person he's defending is Dakota Fanning. And Dakota Fanning gets kidnapped 
spoiler, but that's what the D- movie's about. Dakota and in then, her prime too. Yeah, like, yeah. And then Denzel gets so mad about that that he takes out vengeance and he basically kill Bill style, shout out to episode two of our podcast, tries to go and seek vengeance on every single person who harmed her. My first question is, is wait, 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 one one important detail. Yeah. He, the reason we compared it to the way back is because he was struggling with alcoholism. Oh yes, he's yes, he, alcoholism, and also it's a redemption movie. I mean, he's trying to get. Yeah, his that's why he takes. That's why he takes the bodyguard job because he's yeah. he he literally says nobody wants to hire me for anything else and because I'm a drinker. Similar to the way back, he 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 says the thing that nobody should ever say in a script, but they're always in scripts, which is why why can I afford you if you're former CIA? Why are you a bodyguard? And he said, "Well, I'm an alcoholic. I drink, and I'm a risk." And it's like, that would probably never be said in real life. But otherwise, this is a really good movie. My first question to you guys is... I actually dug that line. Whatever. My, my first line to you guys is, <laughs> is Dakota Fanning the best child star of all time? Is she the greatest actress of all time? She was so good in this movie. She's so good in I Am Sam, which is pretty much what got her this movie. I, is she I feel the greatest like child star of the podcast. Time? I mean... She's yes. so good in this movie. You watch this movie because yeah. when she gets kid, this I'm sorry, it's it's a spoiler. If if I have any fault to say in this movie up front, it's the movie is about him seeking vengeance, but she doesn't get kidnapped for an hour in the movie. But and, and it's it's both good and bad. It's good and bad because you fall in love with her. He becomes friends with her. I know that's what the movie's about. The movie is not about a man would, who wants I to be redeemed. I put this in the same. I put this in the same vein as Rocky, though. Like Rocky is famous for the inciting incident. It doesn't happen until forty-five to an hour into the film. I'm not hating on this movie. The this movie was this. fine. It was the a little... inciting incident does not happen it... until an hour into the film. You get to know these two characters, the and movie... you get to see them bond. And then yeah. when they when the when the incident happens, you feel more because right. of that. The movie's awesome. If you like, want a kick-ass you are, movie, you are going to get yeah, you are going to get like an hour of Dakota Fanning really tugging on your fucking heartstrings. I mean, she is so good in this movie. This movie... The second half of this movie Den- is, is one of the best. For this it is one of the best well. kick-ass movies, and like the second half is one of the best, like fuck yeah, movies you could possibly have. It takes a while to get there, but Dakota Fanning is just a dream. She's an angel sent from above. It's it, basically it takes the a while to get it. there deliberately. She is so good. She's not even acting. You can tell Denzel is sitting there going like, "Holy shit, uh, man! I, I don't even know if I'm in a scene right now, or if this is just real life." She's so good. Anyway. I thought this movie was really fun, just a little too long. John, what do you think? Do I buzz Jeff for disparaging Denzel? I'm disparaging Denzel. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I like this movie. I am a... I like Tony Scott. Um, his Tony Scott is Ridley Scott's brother, for anyone who doesn't know. So yeah, he did uh, True Romance. That was a, one Ridley of my Scott? favorite movies. It's uh, <laughs> one of Quentin Tarantino's first produced scripts. Crimson Tide, The Fan... Uh, Top Gun, Beat the Devil, Man on Fire, Deja Vu, Domino, and Stoppable, taking a Pelham one, two, three. So this is the second. I think this is the second time him and Denzel worked together. So they were like they were muses for each other. It's one of those special relationships. They loved working together. Clearly, and I think this is one of the first times we saw Denzel play this "I'm going to kill everybody" role. And I like him in these parts. Because, yeah, because I mean he hadn't done Equalizer yet. He hadn't done um, John Deja Vu is. Deja Vu is after this. John, Q, I mean, even John Q is not about that. That's a right. That's that's when he's the father who's trying to get his child. Isn't that a, isn't that what that plot is for John Q? He's a, oh, it's and a the, father the, whose child. Yes, and the negotiator too. Yeah, all those movies where so, he's just like so playing anyway. that power position guy. Yeah. So obviously, this is just one of those things. It's always you always feel like you're in safe hands when you know a director and an actor who love working together are doing their thing. They have that unspoken language, and uh, this character is just quintessential Denzel. He's got a big problem. 
There's a big, massive obstacle that's kind of defining his character. And it doesn't get in the way of him achieving the kick-ass that is necessary to achieve. He's willing to sacrifice everything. There is not a happy ending, ultimately, like for, for his character. This is about, uh, there's a kind of atonement that comes throughout yeah, this I, entire I thing. I a happy ending. I mean, yeah, there's, well, there's an atonement, but it's not, you yeah, know, everybody. Like he achieved what he needed to achieve. Yeah, it's it was sad though, right? It's 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 not, hmm. you know, it wasn't. Again, spoiler alert. Don't want to give anything away, but you know, not not everybody uh, comes back at the end of this one. <laughs> but there is um, anyway, this uh, him his relationship with Tony Scott. I feel like you can just see it. I feel like it's just palpable. The first half of this movie that you're talking about, when it's just storytelling, there is no it's, crazy it's action. It's nice. Yeah, it's they have so it's, many. It's just scene work and. It's. I think it's impressive when you have when you think of somebody like Tony Scott who makes big action movies. People like Michael Bay copy his cinematography all the time, moving cameras and stuff. So you think of him from a distance as spectacle, and yet he makes movies like this where he consistently pushes characters to the front of the story for at least forty minutes to the first hour of each film. Most of this movie, the first half, is just scene work, and it's usually intimate scene work between one or two characters you have a chance to actually care about everybody before shit goes crazy and cinema using the cinematography it's so nice it's definitely that he, a movie he creates where you appreciate a, the acting performance yeah and he creates a he creates a language he has a language with his cinematography he likes moving cameras i heard quentin tarantino in a podcast where he was talking about him talk about how tony scott likes to set up lots of cameras and he likes to have lots of different yeah. moving footage to pick from, and then they edit things together like so crazy. He's not working with a single camera. Here, cutting, 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 yeah. But the reason I feel like the All reason right, this yeah, works is because that, we'll talk about that later. I, th- I think I the reason it works. I, it down, yeah. I think the reason it works is because the language he uses to introduce the movie and to develop the characters, the language in the cine- in the cinematography doesn't change when he becomes the when the kick-ass stuff begins. So it didn't feel like it's it. It's all over the fucking shop. You don't like all that? All over the place. They they like go to these like heavily colored, high contrast, yeah. jerky images for, and occasionally it has meaning, but occasionally they're doing it for no reason whatsoever. Well, that they're doing it because he's an alcoholic and he has this disillusionment. Is what it seems like. Well, no, that that scene I got, but like, there's that certain scene, scenes on the street the where movie. it just shifts into that mode. Yeah, look, like it, it, it wants it's to all seem over ca- the shop, and it's it, it's hectic and chaotic on purpose. I just don't know if it. Lands that was the for only me, thing I didn't doing. like about the film. Okay. Cool. <laughs> well, tell wait, t- tell us about what you do like. You don't have to jump in on something negative. What, what did you like about the film, Dave? I mean, I loved the character work. I loved uh, Dakota and Denzel on the same scene any time they were there. Um, I actually like this a lot. Um, I mean, take some C6 test tablets before you watch it, but, uh, yeah, lit, like the story builds in the, like, literally everyone is a subject, like a suspect. So you have no idea who's actually behind this until it gets to the reveal. Yeah. Cause it like at some point they literally point everyone out and it's like, okay, who, who the fuck is behind this? Yeah. I also like the heat. Um, and like, I really did like the build. The only thing that threw me off was the occasional random scenes where and it just went to like the high contrast 
jerky stuff for no adequately explained reason. Especially, and John, I'll, John, I'll let you finish your thought, but it, just to that point, and what they would do too is they would play audio from earlier in the movie, but they weren't doing like a Citizen Kane, like recapping mo- the movie. Like, like It was basically mm. just like, here's an audio grab from the first scene. Here's an audio grab from the second scene over these weird like disillusionment montages. I don't know if they landed for me, even though I think I knew what they were going for, but it was kind of like, okay, can we get to the killing and the bomb and the asshole or what? Anyway, that's just me. John, go ahead. Sorry. This yeah, is also one of the be. first this is also one of the first movies when he really started messing with that style, Tony Scott. And I think you can see over the 2010s, he really masters it by the time he gets to Pelham One, Two, Three and Unstoppable. It's still similar I mean, stuff. Oh, and unstoppable. It's, it's way more yeah. digestible. That's that's fine, but like for this movie it was a little bit I think like, it's um it, it threw you off a little. Yeah, it's I feel I, like I know you could have done without it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's always refreshing though when you have I feel like to praise Denzel just a little bit more. Right. When you when you're in a world where his character has to see justice in black and white. I mean, he's going from one to one to one to one. I feel like that is um, that is that's again that's one of those action movie cliches where I think a lot of actors and people who think about acting from a distance think that has to be easy because it's one liners and it's things like that to build up a point of view and have a realistic human being seeing the world in that kind of black and white when right. they themselves are caught in the conflict. That is, that is way more difficult and complex than anybody gives you yeah. credit for. So once again, Tony Scott and Denzel Washington made an action movie. And I thought that this was an example of whether or not we like the cinematography and stuff. This is much more than a Michael Bay movie. This is much more than, you know, some of the the crappier big giant spectacles oh, of people who tried to copy Tony Scott. Yeah. yeah. But what I would say is the feature he made before this, the previous feature right before Men on Fire was Spy Game, and I think those mm. elements of the who done it, like what do you believe, what don't you believe, were more successful in Spy Game than this. I think this it was just a little jarring, and even though I think it was something about the alcoholism, something about him not knowing what was going on and trying to put the pieces together, it seems a little I don't know in 2020 where we are right now. I don't know if he would do it the same way. It seemed clunky, and he would. Pr- it would probably be more polished. I think if he did it today. That's what I, I feel think. like it's also. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. I do think it was. There was something. It almost didn't feel like a movie. It felt like a kinetic, frenetic experience. Like this it would didn't be a feel great like a two-part it... series. Same thing with Kill Bill. If they stopped it at the kidnapping, and then the second half was like just the badass vengeance-seeking thing. It's like Kill Bill, but flipped. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, if I've watched this whole movie and the only criticism I have is, you know, a minute and a half of cinematography. Yeah, it's a damn good movie. And no, you it's, should really check great. it out. You're right. Yeah, it was really yeah. fun. Sweet. Cool. So, yeah, we're going to wrap up that segment. That was Tony Scott's Man on Fire. When we come back, we are going to be talking about our next segment. How the fuck did they do that? How the fuck they do that? All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. We are back. back to the pod. We are back for our favorite segment when filmmaker extraordinaire Dave Green, sorry, John, <laughs> Dave Green is going to walk us through a segment we like to call, How the Fuck Did They Do That? How the, the fuck, fuck did they do, do that? that? Also, extraordinaire is a tad you know, on the nose. I mean, you don't like it? It's not for I, you? It's I, not your favorite description? I've done some stuff. You know. You've done some stuff? <laughs> Am I hyping you up too much, too little, or just too... doesn't matter. Okay, anyway. I mean, too... Yeah. 
Sounds like a traveling, the traveling salesman version of a filmmaker. <laughs> the tra- yeah. The sale- Here, buy these visual effects. Extraordinary. Pass them are, we keeping, are we keeping this in or are we re- redoing this? What do you think? No, no, we're going to keep this okay, in. I love fine. that. So Dave, um, why don't you walk us through how the fuck do they do this segment? What, what have you chosen for this week? Um, we were looking at Invisible Man. Yeah, I thought that I thought it was going to be we focused on that. And given uh, two things, the budget, which was $7 million, yeah. and the fact that it was entirely made in my home country, Australia, <laughs> um, the, the guys down there did some amazing work on some of this stuff. Uh, in particular, I want to focus on the kitchen fight scene because Jeff yes, did ask I did at some point, and how I, the fuck did they do that? I figured most of it would be practical, but I'm not, I'm not sure. It's a mixture. Really? I, I researched the hell out of this. It was so hard to find at this point. I mean, once they release it on digital, I'm sure we'll get much more on how they did this. Yeah. Um, but basically what's coming out about from the director and from the visual effects guys that I could find, um, it's a combination of CGI, um, <laughs> a guy in a green suit, awesome. and pieces of string. What? Hmm. Oh, right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so basically they relied on whatever they needed for the time. Um, in this case, like when a door needs to open, it's a PA hiding behind it with a piece of string pulling the door open. That's cool. Uh, in the case, yeah, in the case of like certain things like knives floating and stuff like that, it was CG, or it was actually uh, the the knife that everyone will come to know as the knife. Um, that was actually practical on set with string. You're kidding like me. Wire, with with wire removal, yeah. yeah. I believe that, dude. It, it um, felt like that. I could find, that was wire removal. That was cool, The kitchen though. scene, cool. which is my favourite, uh, the kitchen scene was actually a three-plate composite where they used a robotic head camera. What is that? So a robotic now, head a ro- camera? A robotic head camera. This thing is on a track. It moves lightning fast. Um, you also would have seen it in the asylum if, when you watch this movie. Uh, you'll notice the technique uh, because basically it moves really abruptly. So it will follow someone to the ground or it will follow an action. In the case of the fight scene in the kitchen um, where she, it's, I believe it's featured in the trailer, if I'm not mistaken, she's thrown over a table. Yeah. Um, that was a combination of wire rigs, a green screen stunt performer, and this robotic head. So they shot this thing three times. So they shot it with the stunt actor, they shot it with her, and they shot it with a clean plate. And because it's a robotic head camera, it moves exactly the same every single time. So you're saying, I don't understand how it could have been on tracks because it was moving in different three-dimensional spaces throughout the kitchen. Are you saying they broke up the filming of the scene? No, the, they broke it up. The okay. actual the actual shot where she goes over the table is robotic head. The rest of it was um, like manual camera, but a lot of it was like you can – like if you look close, like you can see the robotic head working in the film because it's it's not normally the way a camera moves. And the, the big caveat with this is whenever an actor works with those, those, they have to give the same performance every single time. Like the stuntman has to lift her at the same time and push her against the wall and then throw her over the table at exactly the right moment. Otherwise, the camera gets out of sync with the action because it's pre-programmed. Mm. Because the action that you do in the third take with the actual stunt performer and the guy in the green screen like the green suit has to match is it using, the original plate that you shot. Is it using laser sensors to follow something or is it just, is it just filming blindly, no, which programmed. is why the people have to do the same movement? Yeah. It's, it's computer programmed to move from this point to this point, to this point, to this point, 
Uh, it also has a pan tilt head on yeah. it, so it can tip sideways, which is a, a shot you may remember yeah, from which is uh, on the, ground. the Asylum, which is that really like, fucking brutal one where the guy goes headfirst into the tiles. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's so basically your performance has to be spot on every single time. Wait. So that's, I mean, that's one of the other things. After I researched this, why I gave this thing, this thing a little more credit because the amount of synchronicity that had to go into this one shot is amazing. Right. Yeah, and the like the stunt performers again. I'm on the studies, but <laughs> like the stunt performers <laughs> matched with the camera work, matched with. Like the the acting performance, it all worked together with such synchronicity that it was flawless. Yeah, shout out to the Stunnies, who was our that was our how the fuck do they do this for um, Birds of Prey, Harley Quinn, whatever the actual name is now of that I movie. I feel like they're gonna come up a lot. They're gonna come up a lot for sure. Wait, question. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I saw Cheer on Netflix recently, and they rehearsed their their routine just by shouting out the counts. Do you think if they had to do it the exact same way three times that it involves stunts, that they were just shouting it out, or maybe had like an audio thing set on film, and then they just put the sound in later? How do you think they they were able to do the? They, they didn't just guess it and be like, "Gee, that felt quick." What do you think, right? I mean, I feel like it was a lot of let's check playback. I don't know if they were actually counting on set for movements, they, but they, I mean, studies are usually really good about hitting their marks. They just rehearsed it so well. If, yeah. Damn. It's a case of you tell a study, it's like hit, hit. They will hit, hit. I've, I've, I mean, I've worked on a set where I had to uh, film a car screaming at me, and I had a stunt coordinator stand behind me with his cam, like his his hand on my collar, ready to snap me out of the way. The car was literally skidding to a halt right next to me and he was standing there just in case ready to snap it out and the first take didn't work and so we did a second take and the guy put the car in exactly the same place these guys are used to hitting their mark dave do you have a life insurance policy i don't (laughs) well actually i do now i do now because i I made union in new york recently so yeah i do now this fight uh my wife will be so happy about that's right this fight made me think about the grizzly bear fight in the revenant Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think they probably ended up using similar techniques because I know they used a lot of live action wire stuff to move him, but then obviously the grizzly bear was CGI. No, that was Wait, that was what? literally just DiCaprio. DiCaprio just fought a bear. That yeah. actually happened. I've always appreciated that Inuritu has <laughs> never. They've never let out how they did it. But when I was watching yeah. this scene for Invisible for Invisible Man, I remember thinking. There had to be some similar techniques, and I knew at least some of it was practical, so that's cool. I mean, the upshot is, if you've got a, bu- a budget of seven, $7 million, that was an absolutely perfect choice to bring in that camera because you can create a clean plate shot of what you're doing, so your visual effects budget is halved because you don't have right. to roto these guys. Yeah, that's So cool. you can literally just go, paint you out, done. Now, for those of our listeners who don't know what a clean plate is, explain what plates are. Um, a clean plate is basically you shoot the scene with no actors on set. Right. So that when the actors are on set, you put them in an effects program and you paint them out. Oh, cool. That's cool. That sounds but like a normally in, digital, Roto, in, yeah. normally in Roto, you would have to paint around the outline of this person to remove them from the background. So if you have a clean plate shot, you can just go broad stroke, done. It halves your work. And again, I would imagine they were cutting between the work with the clean plate 
staying practical whenever possible and only in the moves where she was flying or where there was a stunt where they cutting oh, into they, the clean play. Yeah, they went practical as much as possible. Yeah. Because the beginning part uh, of the fight. Funny, funny story from what from what I've read, the um, the green suit was used a lot on set um, to actually put him in place. Yeah, it looked like it must so have been when she was when she was acting opposite him. He was actually there. Yeah, yeah. Even though he was invisible. Yeah, and I thought that was helpful for. Do you know if they did that? I know this is the only one we're talking about this particular fight scene, but did they do? Did they use these same techniques for? some of the other fight scenes or was that mostly practical some of them occasionally there were certain sections even of the kitchen fight where she was literally fighting nothing it was yeah. literally just so there were yeah there i mean as, as amazing as so yeah was, there were a couple a times like i'm not i'm not kidding it's it's like normally you go okay what was the cg for the invisible man oh, i was computers but no in this case it was cg it was the actor's performance sometimes it was a guy in green screen and sometimes it was pieces of string and sometimes it was I'm absolutely so, nothing but i'm the so actress. curious you know i wish we, if we you know it's just one of those things just to get behind the curtain i would love to have seen all the different takes and cuts and to determine for myself because there were a couple times few times where it it wasn't as believable as the rest of it. I'm curious if that was the time that it was totally practical and it was because she was acting against no one versus, or is it the opposite and the something with the special effect I'm, look faker? I mean, they've dropped a VOD on like version of it, but we won't know until they drop the original, like the actual version where you get the special features. Yeah. We won't know what was what. Right. Because um, they're keeping that very under wraps. It's really and, cool though. Like Great. bless them. This it scene cool. is, yeah, this scene was definitely my favorite. Like it's not action, but you know, yeah. the something physical was happening. There's several scenes where it gets very physical and the man starts behaving with other people. This is the first time it happens and it is, it's probably yeah. the scene of the movie for that kind of stuff. And again, right now yeah. it's, it's 20 bucks to rent on demand, which I, I guess they're yeah. assuming you're going to watch it with a friend. Cause that's like, that's yeah. more than the ticket price. Like, in watch, well, with the people in your house, do not invite people over right, right. now. That's, that's what, not that good. is weird pricing though, yeah. right? Twenty. Well, it doesn't matter. We, that's a different podcast. No, but. it's. I mean, it, normally it's like forty ninety nine or like ninety ninety nine to buy. It shouldn't be more than a ticket. Like to, this isn't a boxing rent. fight that it, you watch with your friends. No, no, it's it's it it's technically still in cinemas. This is we're in uncharted territory. So ninety right. ninety nine is right, none, so, not unacceptable to rent a movie that came out right. three weeks ago. Give it a shot. It was fun. That was fun. Thank right. you, Dave. It's definitely I enjoyed look. learning how the fuck they did that. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> Love that. Now, since we're a little sauced up, Dave's been drinking some 8% beer over here. I, yeah, I am, made some I've bad choices. Four Narragansetts going on five. I don't know what John's up to, but I believe. I feel like they were ahead of me, so I drank some liquor just to catch after these motherfuckers. Shot, so. Great. so now we are going to redeem a movie. And I want to tell you guys something that's true about me. I grew up in the 90s, as as at least one other person on this podcast did. And Will Smith is one of my favorite actors growing up. I don't care what you say. I mean, we shit. all grew up in the 90s. Some of us grew, just grew up a lot yeah, before so, the some 90s. Some of us grew up a little quicker in the 90s than others. Um, so I saw the first two Men in Blacks in theaters the weekend that it came out. I thought it was so cool. I still have images of Will putting his hands on the globe to get rid of his fingerprints. And he does the classic Will Smith yell. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All of this movie, all of the uh -huh, lines. Uh -huh. You know what the difference is between me and UK? I make this look good. Like all of the lines. I love this movie. Vincent D'Onofrio, shout out to that first movie. We are talking about oh, Men in Vincent Black. Vincent D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio was the highlight of that movie. But this redemption that we're going to be doing 
doing today is Men Edgar. in Black International. Came out summer of 2019. Chris Hemsworth, Tessa Thompson, Kumail Nanjanani as a voice. F. Gary Gray, who directed the original Friday movie. He also did Straight Outta Compton. He's a very well-known director. He's directed Outcast music videos, directed it. Huge budget. Tanked at the box office. We're well, not tanked, but it just didn't do well at the box office. Critically mixed. It's got 5.6% on IMDb. So we decided to give it a redemption. Who wants to go first? I'm going to go to John. You're going to just throw it at me like that? You're just going to just okay, hit me Dave, with it? Dave, what do you think about this movie? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in it. Like the, when they team up and like fight the main villain on the Bifrost, it's... Oh, wait, that's Thor. Sorry. Uh, no, this was not a good... Mixture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jake, Jake, Wait, Jake, was Jake, it good Jake, or not? Jake, Jake, I don't know. Jake. The people need to know, Dave. Was it good or not? It was no, it was good. It was good. It like Let's get it. I feel like it was a decent Men in Black. I can't again, it's like so many of these things we try to redeem. I can't really put my finger on what went wrong here. Uh, I think whenever that happens, wow, it's just a glowing a, review, it's Dave. Just glowing. A, yeah. It's no, it's that is a, that is a um, handsomely lukewarm review you just gave. <laughs> it's it's like it's, it's not a, a great it's not bad it's an okay it's a Men in Black movie that's what I got. <laughs> I uh, I did not uh, I watched this on streaming. I'm glad I didn't pay money for it. Yeah, John. Hey, all right. As we as we've done a couple times now. This was not as bad as I thought it was going to be, considering nobody saw this fucking movie last year. Nobody saw this. I I, I always saw it every time I would go to the theaters, and I wasn't, like, trying not to see it. But it was kind of one of those things where it was not high on my list, and I didn't know anyone who saw it. So there was no word of mouth coming back to me that, hey, it's not so bad. So I didn't mind waiting until it got to, uh, where do we see it? HBO Go? Where do we watch um, that? It's on Stars. I saw it on Stars. It's on Stars. Yeah, that's where we saw it on Stars. Um, hmm. It was, uh, first of all, it was not that bad. I was not a huge fan of Men in Black 3. Um, right. Yeah. I thought it started getting pretty tired, oh. and I thought this was at least as decent as Men in Black 3. Yeah. So I know Will is not in it, although I really like the. <laughs> there's some. <laughs> Some giant, the yeah, there's some giant fucking paintings. This, this happens. Okay, I'm gonna clip this. Microphone. It resurrects. This happens to every fucking Will Smith movie. They re, they resurrected Independence Day and Independence uh, Appendix Appendix Day Independence Day. Will Smith gets it's all of a sudden he's like no fucking way am i gonna be in this movie this movie looks terrible but they were like but we own your likeness from the first movie so they put up posters from the first movie in these movies to basically be like remember will smith not Which, a fucking poster do- dude a giant impressionistic painting of that right. <laughs> with him yeah, and tommy yeah, yeah. lee jones like standing over one. standing yeah, over yeah. the dead bug i don't know it's in the that was a very specific anecdote i'm sorry you'll it's see it so if you if you see it you'll know what we're talking about and that made me laugh no, they know they know there's and a couple things these- go ahead yeah <clears throat> There's a couple things that made me uncomfortable. You almost never get context for how tall Chris Hemsworth is in the Marvel he's movies. So, he is a I am I am not used to anyone looking down on Liam Neeson. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was weird. That was weird seeing him standing a, an inch or two. Used that either. I mean, that was fucking strange. That like, was weird. He's uh, like, I have a very unique set of skills. I'll take your kneecap out. <laughs> I don't know. Generally speaking, though, I, I did not mind this at all. I didn't mind Tessa Thompson's story. I didn't mind Chris Hemsworth. Once again, let, come on. Let's, if we're going to try to 
give credit where credit's due. He was always a funny I Thor. Like- I thought he carried it into this too. I don't ever want to see him play serious roles anymore. I remember what was Same. that movie he did? I'm, I'm wondering what, if what was that movie? Wasn't as much what was that movie he did with about the, the, uh, the race movie? cars? Well, Moby oh, Dick was Daniel, fucking terrible. With, but... um, with Daniel Roll, he did. Um, it's a one-word movie. It's. Um... But anyway, that one, the indie, the. What's yeah, the name of that? It, Daniel Daniel Brule is the other guy in it. It's a Ron Howard movie. Yeah, so is the Moby Dick one, and I just, I'm not saying he's a terrible actor. I just he's Rush. he's actually very funny, and I thought his humor Rush. worked really well in this movie. Yeah. It didn't feel like he was doing Thor. I felt like he was doing kind of his own thing. And let's be real, like. What are we expecting from the fourth Men in Black installment? <laughs> I thought he, they both rose to the occasion just fine. I thought it was significant enough. It was specific enough. It was you. You didn't have to care about anything in this movie to enjoy it. <laughs> right. Is that is that accurate? That's a that's a fair actually. Right? Uh, is that? a fair this story's a little sloppy. I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if there wasn't as much directorial control over what was improvised. Mm. Because those two, you put them together, right. they love to improvise. And I always and I'm feel- wondering, did they just let them run loose? I, I don't I don't know. Well, I, here, the one thing that always is tricky with movies like this that are CGI and otherworldly is the I feel like the also voiceover. Four. They always get the voiceover actors who are great comedy people. So this is Kumail Nanjiani who has a funny, I guess. Um, character that is the voice, but it almost seems like you wish oh, you could shit. improvise. Dude, oh my god, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, the worst part of this movie is yeah, the that character. Is so bad of that character. Like, that there's something first... funny where they're like, "Oh, my loyal queen, I bow my whatever to you," yeah, yeah. and and then she's like, "Oh, I'm not a queen," and he goes, "Oh, it's Every, too both late." Both you have to drink. It, it's just like Jeff. It's, I'm watching you. Just pick up the beer. Pick up your beer. The uh, the <laughs> are, all I wrote down. Ready? All I wrote down in my notes for this watch was my first thing I wrote down was terrible intro to the Pawnee character. <laughs> that first thing where he is, where he's like explaining his, his, you know, like after, because they all get killed. Or Sorry, 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 there's a spoiler alert before you meet Pawnee, his, his ah, no queen gets fucking anyway. killed. So he's this tiny little creature. When they come and meet him and he explains what happened and explains who he is, I completely left the movie. Like everything I just said about how this movie is and how you don't have to care about anything, that was the only time. And every time he was on screen, I was like, how did a group of human beings not realize this wasn't making the movie better? I'm not saying it always made it worse. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's but it like didn't you, you, make it better. It didn't make it better. You can tell it has better. to get vetted by 10 different people in like a production room. It's like, well, who's our target people? And it's like, that's where the wiggle room is. It's like in, in the... That character, and it's like, okay, well, this can make it family friendly. This could double our demo. It's like, yeah, I, it, it's hard to not watch a movie thinking about that with that kind of stuff because the movie's fun. I mean, honestly, I don't even really remember who like the villains were. I think there were aliens. There's a rat in the industry, but when you have yeah. a cast, when you have a cat's a cast that's um, Chris Hemsworth, <laughs> Tessa Thompson, get you asshole, um, Rebecca Ferguson, <laughs> Rafe Spall, Emma Thompson. We haven't even talked about her in this movie. Liam Neeson, like. Who's going to be the rat? It's I don't know. It could be anybody. And that's, I guess, fun. I don't really know what they're fighting for. They, it, it was, it was, 
fine. Yeah. It was fun. It was I good. Mean, I remember the plot of Aquaman more than I remember the plot he, of this movie. He, he, here's why the, here, the best part about this movie is this. They, mm. they, they wanted to be Tessa Thompson is like, why is it the men in black? It could be the, per, it should be the person in black. I got the, there on my own because nobody took me seriously. So this is another pro woman, pro feminist movie, which is great for us three white guys to talk about right now. Um, but the fact that all of these people in the movie, especially Emma Thompson, especially Liam Neeson, especially Rafe Small, they're basically like, look, we just got paid a shit ton of mo- money. We're sh- we have a set schedule. We can see our kids over the weekend. Let's just have fun and making this movie. And there's a lot of personality in these characters that it's it's fun. It's not too stiff. All right. So, the, so then let's ask the bigger question. Like, let's try to imagine ourselves in this scenario. If you're making the fourth installment of Men in Black, do you say yeah. to yourself, are we strictly trying to make people have fun and we're not trying to do anything that is going to get them feeling emotionally attached to these characters and stuff? Because, hold on, one of the first, what, what was the best, why did we care about Tommy Lee's character? So he was super fucking charming. Of course, he was hilarious. Tommy Lee fucking well, Jones. He wasn't and they had great, charming. They had great <laughs> vulnerability as well, though. Like, Yeah, yeah but do you remember specifically, was what was he always doing when he was alone? Do you remember? In the first one? Yeah. He was looking at his wife that he had to yeah, leave, or the yeah. woman, not his wife, the girl he was bringing flowers to. So and, there was and something- he, he eliminated her, yeah. Yeah. So there was something grounding emotionally. You kind of had a chance to get, it wasn't just about them kicking ass with sweet cricket guns and shit like that. I just hit the nail on the head was with what was missing. I mean- was that, That's that what I'm aside, asking. Though, what, that's what I'm asking. Do you yeah, think that, that was missing? I mean, that aside, this, yeah. this was fun- Okay, I agree. You don't really feel for the I, Okay, no, all right. Hold on. Ready? Ready? We're going to get it, the world at we're going to We're going to get into this. It's popcorn. We're going to get into this in weeks to oh, come because popcorn. the Fast and the Furious franchise will be on one of our uh matchups right. and we will be talking about that. I think a lesson oh, from oh, the Fast and the Furious that Men in Black did not take was that Fast and the Furious never never sacrificed an opportunity to make you care more about the characters. It never just went straight for fucking just the cars. They always continued to figure out a way to build the mythology of how important the family was to them. And they did that by showing something that was happening to the individuals. There was usually one or two they would focus on. This movie clearly wanted to have tons of fun, and they did. And we are, we're sitting here saying, it. yeah, we had a good time. But this is the real test, isn't it? I don't give a shit if I see a sequel to this first. Do you? No, and you probably won't. Probably yeah, won't. and you probably won't, right? <laughs> so it was fun enough, but I mean, but would you have? Isn't that the crux? Isn't it? And that the thing that's really the defining thing? Yeah, I like, care. It, Honestly, if the alien, if the aliens took over the world at the end, I would have been fine. Which is a shame because they all Actually, did good work. That, you probably, you probably will. <laughs> so I had a good time. You're gonna have a good time, but that might be. Let's uh, R.I.P. Men in Black. I don't know if we're gonna see another one. Honestly. Yeah. Like, I don't know if All they right. gave you any reason to want to watch the next one. I mean, yeah. Dave, anything else? Nothing else. All right. So we are. Ge- so we mentioned, we teased at the beginning of this episode, we're going to be doing our, I, we wanted it to be trilogies, but as John mentioned about Fast and the Furious, we're going to open it up a little bit. I don't want to give away too many movies, but up first, we're going to record and put this out, hopefully on Monday, is our number one versus number 16 trilogies slash franchise of all time, according to us three people and nothing else. Our number one seed. <laughs> The Lord of the Rings trilogy, which I'm very, very good. I'm glad we're talking about this up front because we all have a lot of days and nights free. And it is a thing. I just, yeah. It is a thing It'll to watch. It'll take up a day. I mean, I know Return of the King is on, my on Netflix. I don't They're think. They're my favorite. 
Yeah. No. What the hell? Go go to iTunes. Buy the extended edition. Yeah. Get on board, motherfuckers. That those yeah, so, movies no, fucking here, rock, here's dude. Here's one thing that I recommend. I've done this twice. The, I call it the hero's journey. I've done this twice. Um, I imagine you guys have done this once. You watch one director's cut, like full four hour version each night, three nights in a row. So that's twelve hours, three nights in a row. It's tough, but anyway, you don't have to do it. It's I just not tough at all. It's fucking enjoyable as shit. Person. Fuck you, tough. It's yeah. fucking okay, amazing. So our, our number one, our number one. <laughs> Our number one trilogy of all time is Lord of the Rings. Did we get buzz for disparaging Jeff? Yeah. Fuck and you, then, buzz him, buzz him. Fuck our, you, Jeff. Our number, our number sixteen is the Shaun of the Dead series. Drink, um, bitch. What is it called, Dave? The Palmetto series. What the hell is the, wrong with you? It's the Cornetto series. The Cornetto series. Wow, we're great. I apparently have some yeah. work to do before the, Sunday. The Cornetto trilogy. Cornetto series, which is Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and um, Do- World the World's End. End. So, the World's Lord End. of the Rings versus Shaun of the Dead. Who? We'll move on to the quarterfinal round. <laughs> you have the to stay tuned. might surprise you. All right. So, yeah. So, this is Monday the 20th of uh, March. Hopefully, this podcast comes out uh, Monday the 23rd of March. Expect some arguments. All right, so. everybody. We are we are signing out for right now. We're looking forward to get back into it. We are promised these are going to be some really entertaining episodes. Everybody stay safe. Everybody stay responsible. Thank you for tuning in. We will be back with you soon. Thanks so much. <laughs>